pain on my block, I see no other way to live it All my brothers up in prison, nah, this ain't living I'm fucking with this bitch, check, check out the mixtape You can ride, get high on the freeway These be our last days, shit's getting worse I had to take it on my heart, put it in my mouth Put it in my mouth, put it on my mouth You a victim of a girl, now you're so first Slide in my lane, devil on my shoulders to be honest with you this is fx2 hosting another episode of your favorite podcast a murder of musicians that was a fire track by one of the dopest rappers that i know friend of the show we love you clay it's clay banks he's repping the bay area that track is called live to get old which we all want to do and within the next few months i'm gonna disclose something about mr banks he's going to be collaborating and touring and basically fucking tearing up the indie charts and making a name for himself so if you're a music producer a beat maker why don't you take an opportunity to attach yourself to someone who is proven and is professional and has talent? You're a fucking moron if you don't. Get in touch with him. Links in the episode bio as always. Or you can just hit me up and I will personally introduce you to Mr. Banks. So there's an opportunity for you. See how much we're providing for free here on A Murder of Musicians, the podcast to beat all podcasts, right? So you never know what we're going to talk about unless you read the bio. (laughs) Um, Last episode, I really wanted to focus on the mainstream radio and how it changed specifically in New York City around the time that hip-hop and R&B were really starting to gain momentum in the mainstream. So Ed Lover and Dr. Dre had a morning show on Hot 97. Funk Flex had that Friday night show that I fucking loved. Talk about running home, putting two cassette tapes in my bookshelf stereo, hitting record, and then the entire weekend I would spend hitting rewind and listening to the transitions that this guy was spinning on live radio. Funk Flex, you're a hero of mine. I really, really respect you and all that you did for New York and the hip-hop community. Thank you. Right out of the gate, we need to take 
a little bit of a step backward to the 1980s. Yeah, the 80s again. Because, believe it or not, there were three white Jewish rappers. <laughs> I couldn't even get that sentence out without laughing. But yes, three white Jewish rappers who fucking killed mainstream hip-hop by incorporating their own punk rock feel and manipulating the hip-hop genre to encompass what they experienced at clubs like CBGB's, right? They were playing as a trio back in the 80s at these clubs, and they were basically a punk cover band, right? Bet you didn't know that. They were doing renditions of bands like Minor Threat, you know, um, Operation Ivy, The Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys, you know, all of the real in-your-face punk rock bands of the 80s. And then something was introduced to the three amigos when they were at NYU by a student named Rick Rubin. I believe this is the second time I'm dropping Rick Rubin's name in this podcast over the last few episodes. So if you don't know who Rick Rubin is, you better fucking educate yourself quickly. Rick Rubin was a student at NYU who approached the Beastie Boys and had a little bit of a idea or idea. <laughs> I call them ideas, but whatever. He said, why not allow me to spin some vinyl in the background while you guys play? And the three white boys from New York City said, okay, we'll give you a chance, Mr. Rubin. We don't know who the fuck you are, some student at NYU, but we might as well push the boundaries of hip-hop because it's an evolving genre of music. We have the beginnings of that East Coast, prolific, boom-bap type, old-school rap. You know, I'm talking KRS-One, Tribe Called Quest, Run DMC, Chuck D, Easy e and Dr. Trey, as we know from previous episode that all started at Adelphi University here on Strong Island, New York. So King of the West Coast G-Thang was a 
product of the East Coast influence. And I will never let him forget that. East Coast for life. So back to the Beastie Boys and how they influenced more mainstream listeners than ever anticipated by any record label. I believe it was Def Jam who signed them originally. And they only really had like novelty gag songs out at the time. I think they had one called uh, Cookie Puss, right? So if you are familiar with Carvel, the ice cream shop, right? There was this cake back in the day called a Cookie Puss. And the Beastie Boys wrote a song about Cookie Puss. And it was fucking hilarious. I think it came out in 1986. If you YouTube it, you will actually see them perform it live, which is fucking phenomenal. Um, Highly recommend it, you know, for shits and giggles. Just YouTube early Beastie Boys. And then try to look for Rick Rubin in the background. You know who else was DJing for the Beastie Boys? Dr. Trey. Oh, another Trey drop. So Trey was spinning vinyl, scratching the wax for the Beastie Boys. But this is right before License to Ill. This is before their debut album. And... How phenomenal was that debut album? It spoke to a generation with Fight for Your Right. That teenage angst from the punk rock scene resonated through the lyrics of Fight for Your Right. And then the song No Sleep Till Brooklyn, one of my all-time favorites, and I really didn't want to spoil this surprise, but I'm going to, because I fucking love that song, and the last time that I actually heard it played live was at the All Points West Festival in New York City, I believe it was 2000 or 2001, when Beastie Boys were headlining the second night of the show, and due to the perils of throat cancer, they were not able to perform, but somebody else stepped into their shoes And the lights dimmed, and all of a sudden you heard the guitar riff barrel out through the amplifiers, and everybody at once chanted, No sleep till... Lights on, Jay-Z screaming, Brooklyn! What? 
The last time I've ever heard that song played live was by Jay-Z during his Black Album Tour, I believe. And Jay, much respect to you, brother. I was maybe three people in front of you from the barricade, and I threw up the diamond. You made eye contact with me, and then I think you flipped me off or some shit like that. I don't know. Or it could all be a figment of my imagination or the extra curricular activities that I was participating in during that festival. And I just wanted to let you know that the Beastie Boys were such an amazingly talented live performing act. They set the bar, so to speak, when they took the stage because they pushed the limits of how far you can take an audience, how many boundaries you can break and maintain some sort of chaotic assemblance within an arena. That's exactly what happened in 1998 at Nassau Coliseum. LL Cool J, what's up, bro? You were sitting probably in the second mezzanine, about 10 rows up, with two of your security guard boys on each shoulder, not wanting to be seen. I think you had the the brim of your cap slit all the way down so nobody could see your eyes, and fucking KRS-One comes out to open up the show, and they blow your spot up by pointing out LL. And then you just see a whole bunch of people rushing to where he's at to get autographs from His Majesty LL Cool J. And I say that with some sarcasm. My man, LL, holler at me, man. You know, we got to talk about the Babylons because I know something that other people don't know. I'll leave it at that. LL, hit me up. We'll talk. And you can give me some hush money and I'll shut the fuck up. (laughs) Back to Nassau Coliseum. KRS-One comes out, opens a show, and the place explodes. It erupts. You know, hearing the female vocals of Step into the world. Oh, it was just so phenomenal. And everybody there was feeling the positive vibes that were going around. And KRS-One actually invited everybody to come on down, jump the barricades, and push against the stage. I was already over the barricades, thanks to a security guard who moonlighted at Nassau Coliseum, but was actually a security guard in a public school for the lunchroom and he recognized me and my friend and we got to jump the barricade go right up to the front and then get barricaded in and I watched my friend who was stupid enough to drink alcohol 
on the taxi ride to the Coliseum under the age of 21, so he wasn't going to have any more, got sober very quickly and then dehydrated and fainted later on in the evening. Your boy FX2 wasn't drinking. Um, Back in the day, there was this thing called ecstasy, and I may have been in double digits of that feeling. And it was amazing when Beastie came out because they played for an hour and a half they took a bow they left everybody's chanting for an encore little do we know that all these instruments start flooding the stage with musicians behind them I'm talking an orchestra what are they going to do Well, if you're familiar with the Beastie Boys, then you know all about their instrumental tracks. My favorite album of all time is The In Sounds From Way Out. I can listen to that for the rest of my fucking life, no problem. Put it on repeat, I'm good with that. I got to witness that played live the entire album, another hour and a half spent on stage. They left. We clapped. We applauded. We expected an encore because we wanted to hear, you know, no sleep till. And all the other hits like Sabotage and Intergalactic Planetary. It was during that tour. So we clapped our hands and we we screamed for more and more and more. Well, they didn't disappoint. Another fucking hour of performing. So we're talking four plus hours of performing. That's unheard of nowadays. You're lucky if you get ten live tracks played through auto-tune and a microphone that isn't even working properly to keep the integrity of the artist pure and not to embarrass them on stage. That's always a great, great line that's told to audio engineers and, you know, stage managers. You know, the artist wants to preserve their integrity and remain a reputable musician and eliminate all possibilities of flaws and failure and voice inflictions that weren't expected. I'm talking cracks and high pitches and out of breath lyrics all have to be disguised by a vocal track that plays so nicely in the background and that's what you sing along to not the case with the beastie boys that was pure fucking magic and i don't want to get too metaphysical on your ass but here goes so right after this show Keep in mind, 
over a dozen of those uh, special chiclets before the show put me in a different zone. I exit Nassau Coliseum shirtless, dripping, smiling. I turn around and I bump into two Tibetan monks, I kid you not, in their orange robes who smile and nod their head and I felt a motherfucking blessing given from them. I swear to you that I've probably never really had any major spiritual experiences quite like that before. It was a summation of all of the positive vibes that were circulating throughout the Colosseum that night. I'm assured of that. I have been in contact with people that were at that show who will proclaim the same exact feeling, almost like we were all sucked up by a UFO and dropped down in some fucking cornfield and we're discussing how it felt to be probed by these little green men, right? It was that bizarre of an atmosphere and that prolific of an event for me to be speaking to you about the intricate details that I felt back in 1998. That's a long time ago, man. You know, almost 20 years, basically. So what I wanted to just end with is the importance of taking whatever musical talent you have from whatever genre that you came up in. So if you came up writing old school East Coast style hip hop tracks and now you're trying to produce drill or trap beats, well, you're going to want to take a page out of the Beastie Boys book and incorporate what you were brought up learning and perfecting that style, that genre of music, and mold it into this new form of media that you are putting out there for possible collaborations. I think that if you were to look through FX2's catalog on Apple Music or Spotify... Yes, that is my shit. You would be pretty much surprised by the eccentric style of electronic experimental wave synthesis and ambient landscape music that I compose. I speak to you all about hip-hop and R&B every one of these podcasts so I'm assuming you are viewing me as one of the hip-hop 
experts in FX2 Studios, and that's not the case. Shout out to ATB. He is our in-house hip-hop expert. My man, he can spit lyrics down a microphone faster than a spitball leaves a straw in your third grade classroom hitting the teacher right in the fucking forehead. I swear to God, this kid is amazing. But I'm not. And I am all about that electronic experimentation, waveform synthesis, frequency modulation. So when we mention that we do consultations here, it's not in the form that you're familiar with. So it's not one of those stuck-up corporate-type consultations where we tell you that everything you're doing is wrong and this is what you need to fix and if you don't fix XYZ, then you'll never make ABC. That's not the case, man. We're just here to help guide you. Um, Get in touch with us if you want to really interact with some stellar fucking professionals. Everybody here on the FX2 Studios squad, the team, is experienced in the music business from both sides of the table. We discussed this already. You are at a disadvantage not knowing us. That is for sure. So here we are. We're coming to you with this podcast, music blog, website, social media presence. We're trying to get a community going. So once again, throw down that hashtag, A-M-O-M-P-O-D, at the end of all your posts, your reels, your live feeds, your tweets, whatever the fuck you do on Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat and Discord, whatever. I don't fucking care. I don't even know anymore what is popular. I just know that it all needs to come down like a castle that just topples over. Because castles made of sand drift into the sea eventually. And I will give anybody a $20 Amazon gift card if they tell me who sang those lyrics first. Email me, fx2 at fx2 studios. Tell me who sang those lyrics. I'll send you a $20 gift card. Word is bond. Thank you for joining us on A Murder of Musicians. Until next time, stay cool, motherfuckers.